0: it's tuesday july 18th 2023 the 909th day of dystopia i'm your moderator chris paul let's be reasonable A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, Continue listening to the podcast for free a couple of days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So yesterday we talked about how people have this habit, and I do, we all do. It's something that has been inculcated over time but a habit of accepting default explanations for things, even though we can't support the substance, truth, or validity of the content of those default explanations. We use these default explanations as foundations for other beliefs without actually fortifying the default explanation, or even in many cases checking to find out if it's true. And I've discussed over the last couple of episodes some key foundational misunderstandings that really do change our whole calculus and our whole understanding of politics as we have always known it. The fact is that our elections are not free and fair, not safe and secure, and the reported results do not accurately reflect the will and intent of the American voter. Believing that our elections are good to go leads to a whole range of other beliefs that are totally unsupportable once you have reconciled that foundational understanding and corrected it. If we can't trust that the reported results of an election accurately reflect the will and intent of American voters, then we have no basis for making judgments about different classes of voters whose vote as a class has already been misrepresented in the reported results. And then similarly, if we aren't given accurate information about how many Americans there are of eligible voting age in this country, then how are we just supposed to sit idly by while they tell us that the total voter turnout for the 2020 election was able to jump a full 20% over the 2016 election? How do our ideas about the country change if we have only 225 to 250 million American citizens in this country? Because something about what we're being told absolutely must be false. And upon realizing that, we have to realize that all our other beliefs based on this understanding of who we are as a people have to be immediately put into question or doubt. You got to be skeptical about them, if not dismiss them completely. And so my point in taking so much time to go through these things is that we have to shed this historical understanding, what we knew of politics before this era, we have to get rid of all of it, or at least put it all into question and into doubt, because a lot of our critical assumptions about who we are and how we vote and what we as a society think are reliant on things like those census numbers that if not wholly falsified, which they may be, are at least misconstrued and miscommunicated to the American public. Without actually traveling around to all the states and trying to meet people and listen to them about their problems on the ground, we really don't have much way of knowing what we as a society think. And so we are inclined to accept the media's story about who we are because everyone is given all of the same ideas. And when we check with other people, they're like, yeah, well, everybody knows that. Everybody knows we've got about 330 or so million people in this country, and they think that that's all Americans, even though it's not and doesn't claim to be. So everybody knows that thing. That thing's wrong. Everybody knows that 95 percent of black Americans vote Democrat and support Democrats with the whole of their being. Because Democrats are the anti-racist party based on the fact that so many black people vote for them. Goes right around in a circle, makes no sense, but everybody knows it. It's common knowledge. It's foundational knowledge. Now, there aren't too many people that go around the country trying to figure out what normal Americans think. There might only be one of those, and that would be Donald Trump, who actually does go do rallies all around the country in front of normal Americans, where he listens to their reactions about the things he's saying. And through doing that and talking to politicians on the ground, community leaders on the ground, businessmen on the ground, people like police and fire and military, Trump gets an understanding of how people around the country are really doing. But everybody knows we can't trust Trump. He's A dumb narcissist who can't control himself is always focused on his own power and image in the short term. He's lazy and stupid and selfish and blah, 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 blah. All the things about Donald Trump. He couldn't possibly have a better read on what the country actually thinks than we do. I mean, we read the news, we look at the polls, we know the results of our elections. That is the best way to know about what everyone else thinks. And it's always been that way. The TV always agrees with our interpretation of society. So why in the world would we change? The TV already knows we're right. And no, we didn't get our ideas from the TV. How could you even say that about us? And so I bring this up today because we were treated to a weekend of so much standard political analysis after the Blaze Media event where Tucker sat down and interviewed all of the GOP primary pretenders, obviously without Trump joining, and then a series of speeches over the weekend at Turning Point USA's Action Conference that they called, unfortunately, ACT-CON, which kind of makes the whole thing sound fake. It's an act or a con. Which one is it? But over the course of two days, we were treated to extended comments from all of the GOP primary also-rans who will eventually either lose to Trump in a legitimate primary or perhaps one will be the beneficiary of a rigged and stolen GOP primary election, forcing Donald Trump into a third party run or a write-in candidacy. Either one of those will hold on to almost the entirety of Donald Trump's MAGA America First base and movement. No one on our team is going to watch a rigged and stolen primary and then vote for the GOP nominee just because that person is the person who can beat Joe Biden. But it's cute to see that they still kind of think that. So in Tucker's sit down interviews, almost all of the candidates had really, really bad days. There was the meme going around with the Grim Reaper. I think it's from the cartoon Family Guy, where he goes from one door to the next, ending, metaphorically, the candidacy of each person at each door, a picture of the candidate as an effigy for his campaign lying there dead. Asa Hutchinson had a terrible day. Tim Scott had a terrible day. Donald Trump still says, nice things about Tim Scott. And maybe Tim Scott is running to expose certain narratives and show the country that no one is interested in those narratives or in that brand of candidacy. It could certainly be true of all of these people, Nikki Haley, Asa Hutchinson. Maybe they are all just there to expose some brand of establishment conservatism so the country can feel like it has analyzed, dealt with, experimented with all of the varieties and then returned to the correct choice in Donald Trump. I am open to that explanation. But that said, it's worth trying to understand all of these candidates, taking what they're doing at face value and seeing what that means and giving it kind of more of that old school political analysis knowing all the while that this isn't, in most senses, a real primary, and it may not be a real primary at all. There is no candidate in the field who's going to come anywhere close to Donald J. Trump. That has been proven beyond doubt at this point. The candidate everyone expected To be competitive and maybe even steal the mantle from Donald Trump was Ron DeSantis. And he has done nothing but drop in the polls consistently since his shadow campaign began last November. In many people's eyes, he's not even in second place anymore. So to the extent that any of this is real, the only purpose of this is to keep someone in there who is seen as a viable alternative to Donald Trump in hopes that They can either lock Donald Trump up and make his candidacy untenable, they think, and that would ultimately fail completely or just straight up rig and steal the thing. But even if they're intending to do that, they need someone to seem like a viable replacement. And it doesn't seem like that's an option either. So Tim Scott was boring. He failed on answers about Ukraine, as basically all of the candidates up there did. Nikki Haley actually outperformed a bunch of her establishment colleagues. Asa Hutchinson has been treated to overwhelming rounds of booing all throughout the weekend, which means either Walmart needs to find a new candidate fast or Asa Hutchinson is just another whipping boy to show the public exactly why the Republican establishment is so worthless and Chris Christie spent the weekend complaining about Donald Trump on cable news. But the two people who got the most headlines over the weekend were Mike Pence and Vivek Ramaswamy. Mike Pence was his normal, boring, milk-toast self, which is fine. That's just who Mike Pence is. He may go down in history as The person who ultimately gave America away or he may go down in history as a great patriot who took one for the team about as hard as anyone could possibly take one outside of Donald Trump. But no matter how history ultimately judges Mike Pence, Mike Pence is still a rather boring speaker. And hey, maybe he's doing it on purpose. If you love Mike Pence, understand that I'm not going after Mike Pence. I'm just saying he's kind of boring, but he had a major gaffe. And here's the audio from that. Vice President, have you? Uh, I know you're running for president.
2: You are, distra- you. You are distressed. You are distressed that the Ukrainians don't have enough American tanks. Every city in the United States has become much worse over the past three years. Yeah. Drive around. There's not one city that's gotten better in the United States, right. and it's visible. Our economy has degraded. The suicide rate has jumped. Public filth and disorder and crime have exponentially increased. Right.
0: Now, Mike Pence got absolutely savaged for that response. And we discussed this whole thing and the character of Mike Pence on Devolution Power Hour Saturday night. So if you want an extended discussion of that, head there for that. But John Patel Patriot made a great point during that episode. And he said that Mike Pence was not saying that's not my concern about the status of America and the American people. He was refuting Tucker saying this. Listen to this section once again. This is what John believes Mike Pence's comment was focused on. And I think that he's exactly right.
2: Your concern is that the Ukrainians, a country most people can't find on a map, who've received tens of billions of
0: U.S. tax dollars, don't have enough tanks. So Pence was saying, that's not my concern. It's not my concern that Ukraine doesn't have enough tanks and that we haven't sent enough money there. He's saying he's actually concerned about the whole range of issues, but he still thinks that Ukraine policy should look a certain way and he was pushing for the way he thinks it should look. Now, you don't have to agree with that. You don't have to think that's a good response, but it seems pretty clear that Mike Pence was not saying that America is not his concern. So I don't think we need to savage him for that. Now, Vivek Ramaswamy made it through most of the weekend in great shape. In fact, he was having his best moments. He was finishing ahead of Ron DeSantis in polls over the weekend, the straw poll at Turning Point and in public polling about the primaries. He is beginning to catch up with Ron in some places, move ahead of Ron because people have pretty much reached the point with the Ron DeSantis thing that they understand it's not going to work. And whoever they believed Ron DeSantis to be before last fall, he is clearly not that guy. He ran for re-election for Florida governor. He got them to at least attempt to change the law to allow him to run. And he seems to be completely ignoring Florida throughout the entirety of this second term as Florida governor. Whatever the thing was from the beginning, and whatever the analysis now, this thing has not worked and will not work. And the longer they do it, the more people recoil from Ron DeSantis. You don't have to like that fact. You don't have to hate Ron. But it's better if you would recognize reality. And reality is that Ron DeSantis is not going to come anywhere close to President Trump by selling some strange version of Trump light that no one wants. Lying about COVID, lying about vaccines, lying about wokeness and lying about election fraud are not the pillars of a good anti-Trump campaign, it turns out. Aside from the people in Ron's organized info op online, no one gave Ron even passing grades on his performance with Tucker Carlson. He looked petty. He sounded whiny. He looked uncomfortable. At one point, his entire body freaked out. And the clip of that went viral. He did this weird thing where he just snapped into this position where he's sitting up straight and creepily licking his lips as if he had just caught a fly. So his presence was bad and his answers were bad. And that's because there is no anti Trump pro Ron argument that is not simultaneously stupid, dishonest and immoral but they're still pushing it last night they came out with another round of let's blame trump for the vaccine and tell him that he has to denounce the vaccine or else no one's going to vote for him in a rigged election 16 or 17 months from now in a race against joe biden or maybe what liz cheney They're going to still just keep trying to pin the vaccine thing on Trump and make Trump take responsibility so that everybody knows Trump is responsible for the vaccine that he's not responsible for, did not create and did not mandate. And Trump will be responsible despite the fact that he gave everyone every reason They needed to understand that COVID wasn't all that dangerous and didn't require a vaccine. And in fact, there were all sorts of therapeutics and treatments. If only the government wouldn't prevent people from getting them. And of course, letting everyone know all of that means that there was absolutely no justification for the emergency use authorization under which that vaccine was released. But sure, Trump should take responsibility for all of that by denouncing the vaccine even though there's really no one in the world who's taking the vaccine because of Trump. And I suspect that there's virtually no one who ever did. And despite the fact, of course, that Trump is now saying in virtually every speech, not that these people would ever watch a whole Trump speech, but he's saying in virtually every speech that he would remove all federal funding from any school or university that mandates masks or vaccines. So that means no child has to get vaccinated ever again. That's an awfully strange policy for the guy who's responsible for the vaccine, isn't it? But I know he took a million dollar donation to his inaugural. And for that million dollars, the man who lost two billion dollars while in office decided to make himself complicit in genocide, even though he had always spoken out against vaccines. Prior to that, a million dollars was all it took for this billionaire to stop fighting the deep state and instead take their side in genocide. And of course, he's still fighting the deep state right now. And pharma and all of its controlled media assets are still trying to take Donald Trump out as their very first most important priority. But yeah, Donald Trump is totally on their side. But Ron tried that last night and he came out to give a big speech today in South Carolina. You know, South Carolina, where Donald Trump just had 50,000 plus supporters show up in a town of 3,000 people in order to attend a rally. That's South Carolina. Did 50,000 people come out for Ron? Come on. No one would ever believe that. Did 50 people come out for Ron? Isn't it amazing that you would have to actually check to know? Because it's absolutely no guarantee that Ron DeSantis can attract 50 people to anything. Nearly all of Ron DeSantis's prior support was from Trump supporters who now see him as a disloyal tool of the regime. And rather than understanding... That Ron Santis now clearly has painted himself as a traitor to the country, willing to make himself complicit in the treason that was committed with the usurpation of our government. Their analysis holds on to the idea that Trump is just a terrible meanie and bad guy and that all of his supporters are cult members, even though we're the very people who were most likely not to get that vaccine He's totally supposed to take responsibility for. Well, how does that work? So Ron DeSantis gave a speech today where he blamed Trump for all sorts of things and talked about how he would be the one to actually do all the things that Trump didn't quite finish doing. Ron DeSantis is basically making the case that he will finish the job. And that's funny because that's Joe Biden's slogan that they're going to finish the job. And it's no surprise that with moments like this in Ron's speech today, people are beginning to compare Ron DeSantis to Kamala Harris.
2: It's between being brought up on criminal charges and, and doing things like, for example, um, I think it was shown how he was in the White House and didn't do anything while, while things were going on. Uh, he should have come out more forcefully. Of course
0: that. He definitely should have done things. But the worst part of the Ron display today was that his podium says mission first. And so comparing mission first to America first, which one of those sounds like the guy who actually wants to put America first? And it kind of makes you wonder if it's not America first, what is your mission? And of course, Ron has mission first on his podium to present himself as a former military man. Because apparently someone in his campaign thought that would be a good new way to rebrand Ron DeSantis for maybe the hundredth time since the campaign started two months ago. You know, back when his name was Ron DeSantis. So all of that has been a disaster. And the truth is, with this movement, what we have are people who are mad at the only guy who has done anything to help because he didn't do everything And fix everything yet. And because he didn't do everything to fix everything yet, they want to replace him with just about anyone, regardless of whether or not they've done anything or even suggest that they might do any of the things Trump has already been doing. Trump's agenda did not exist before Trump. And the idea that these other candidates are somehow going to pursue agendas that Trump brought to the fore, even though they opposed them prior to Trump, makes absolutely no sense. Let's replace the guy who was in the middle of fixing things until the election got stolen with the very people who helped that stolen election get confirmed and covered up. Yeah, that'll totally take down the deep state. So the reviews after all of this, and we'll talk about Vivek in just one second, but the reviews after all of this were that Tucker systematically destroyed all of these GOP also rans these pretenders, these candidates in what may very well be a completely fake and fictional primary that exists only as a show. And Tucker has had praise heaped on him all weekend. And again, I like Tucker. Talked about Tucker plenty of times on this podcast. But what he's being praised for right now as an outstanding journalist, which, by the way, he may well be. But all the praise is coming because he asked totally normal questions, things that normal Americans want answers to from these candidates. That's all he did. And that destroyed these candidates just asking them normal questions that they are not asked by normal mainstream media figures and outlets destroyed all of these candidates careers. And that's what the reviews were. Not only does this destroy their candidacy in the primary, they're done. These people are just done done there's no future there for these people no one's going to elect them they're not serious candidates they're not remotely up to the moment and if they're not up to the moment now when will they be this is the moment this is when things are important if you are ever going to rise to the occasion now is that time and none of them are capable of doing it do we expect in the future that things are just going to become so easy And so lazy that we will all just go back to the before times where no one paid attention. And all we want from our political leaders is to kiss our asses a little while during the campaign and then do whatever they want so that we can get mad at them and say that the other side is really the problem. Well, our side is perfect. We're not going back there. So which one of these candidates actually matters? And the truth is that none of them do. But we are getting round two of, hey, this candidate matters. And I'm talking, of course, about Vivek Ramaswamy. And we might have, as I've said before, more iterations of this. There might be someone after Vivek. They've been talking about Brian Kemp and Glenn Youngkin running. Kemp has released a statement that he will not be running. So maybe the Murdochs and the rest of the GOP elite and establishment can draft Glenn Youngkin, but they are talking about how Ron DeSantis is not going to work. And that's coming from reports about what the Murdochs are talking about. You can disbelieve those reports if you want. It might be fake news. It doesn't really matter whether or not the Murdochs continue to support Ron. Barring locking Trump up, which would probably also fail, and rigging and stealing the primary from Trump, which would probably also fail. The Ron thing is over. It's irrelevant. There is no chance that Ron catches up to Donald Trump in any normal political fashion. He's not going to win the arguments that he has already lost. He's not going to be able to make up for the things that he's already said, the lies he's already told, the positions he's taken that make him complicit with the regime and show who Ron DeSantis Apparently, really is. And if you want to say this is not really Ron, this is all an act, then we still reach the same point where he is not going to beat Trump. If this is all an act, then he's not beating Trump no matter what, especially if this isn't even a real political contest. And it may well not be because if we don't have free and fair, safe and secure elections where the reported results accurately reflect the will and intent of the voters, then the results of the primary don't matter in any way whatsoever. The private corporation that is the Republican National Committee is more than welcome to select Ron DeSantis as their candidate and give Ron DeSantis access to the ballot in all 50 states under the Republican Party. If that happens, we will simply figure out another way. Because it's not possible for the results of an election to matter if everyone in the country knows that the results of the election as reported are not accurate. And that is exactly what people will know 16 or 17 months from now if nothing is done in the meantime to fix elections. Trump never conceded. There are still active efforts in courts around the country. More information is coming out all the time. If Kerry Lake gets a positive decision, immediately the election fraud narrative goes away. There are so many different ways that the country can figure out at a critical mass that our elections are stolen, that the reported results in no way reflect the will and intent of the American voter. And if Trump's not enough and Kerry Lake's not enough, then Robert F. Kennedy Jr. will be. There are plenty of different ways to reach that critical mass about the American public understanding that our elections are stolen. And at that point, the results of rigged elections will not matter. And if the solution has to be outside of the electoral process, that's just fine. And by the way, that doesn't mean that the solution immediately becomes civil war or some kind of violent revolution. None of us want that moment to ever happen. And that's why Tens and tens of millions of Americans have kept their powder dry throughout this entire time, knowing full well the truth about our elections and what has become of our country. That's not because people are passive. It's because they are smart. They understand what's going on, and they don't want to see the complete and total breakdown of society. There's one more thing worth noting about the Ron Santis thing, and this was from Laura Loomer yesterday. She wrote on Twitter, the RNC said in order to debate in their first debate on August 23rd, candidates running for president are required to have a minimum of 40,000 donors. However, I was looking at the FEC reports that just came out and Ron DeSantis only has 16,841 filtered results that show up on his report for individual donations. It doesn't look like he's going to qualify for the debate. I don't see anyone else talking about this. Is the GOP chairwoman going to overlook the fact that DeSantis didn't meet the requirements? Ron DeSantis shouldn't be allowed to debate on August 23rd, according to these FEC documents that only show 16,841 individual campaign donations. And we shall see if Ron DeSantis is able to correct that problem by then. He's also losing big money donors as well. Politico just had an article up the other day about how donors were backing out. The headline was top donors souring on DeSantis. Start looking at Tim Scott. And there were also reports of him slashing campaign staff. Things are going just about as badly as they could possibly go. And that's why so many people are headed in Vivek Ramaswamy's direction. Now, I said months and months ago that Vivek Ramaswamy was quite clearly the Barack Obama version of Trump light. Ron DeSantis is the Donald Trump version of Trump light. Nikki Haley is the Kamala Harris version of Trump light. Glenn Youngkin, if he steps into the race, will be the Mitt Romney version of Trump light. They're going to try all the various archetypes. Someone mentioned to me the other day that Vivek Ramaswamy is the Andrew Yang of the 2024 Uniparty right. And I can get down with that comparison as well, but I think he's more of a Barack Obama type. He is seen to be this young, articulate brown man, as Joe Biden might describe him, but a great orator. He just brings that message of hope. It sounds in his voice like things will be better as soon as you let him control everything. And I've thought that all of that has come off completely inauthentic the entire time, but other people have not. And hey, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think I'm wrong, or I wouldn't maintain this position, but maybe I am. It seems to me, though, Like people are just accustomed to liking whoever says the things that they want to hear. And Vivek Ramaswamy has made his entire campaign about saying the things that people want to hear. He is anti-woke, just like Ron DeSantis, constantly talking about the woke mind virus as Uniparty right villagers are prone to do. They pretend that they are totally immune to such things as a mind virus. While they mindlessly repeat the new slogan about what wokeness is and unceasingly cheer for whoever is the most proud that they can discern who has the wee-wees and who has the hoo-has, it is impossible to ever think of anything more important than that. We must let absolutely everyone know that we understand the most basic fact of nature. And Vivek tries to present all of his very poorly thought through viewpoints in the language of MAGA so that he can appeal to MAGA. People like to think that there was someone young out there, someone who will be attractive to Democrats because we're thinking about everything in our old school political analysis. We are thinking that certain characteristics about a person like his age and his skin color might be really attractive to certain demographics that we need to compromise with and woo in order to win an election, even though the elections are rigged. Trump needs to run alongside a woman. Trump needs to run alongside someone young. Trump needs to run alongside a man of color. Trump needs to run alongside someone who can reach the intellectual class by being a wonderful orator like Barack Obama or Vivek Ramaswamy. That is what Trump needs. Hey, Trump doesn't need anything. We already got the country. All Trump needs is a free and fair election, a safe and secure election, an election where the reported results do in fact reflect the will and intent of the American voter. And Trump wins. So we don't need to begin compromising and playing demographic games based on unchanging identity characteristics in order to please the left who already hates Trump and isn't going to change their minds until they wake up. And the same holds true from the villagers on the uniparty right who are all supporting Ron DeSantis right now. And if all the establishment types are supporting DeSantis over Trump, what? in the world leads anyone to believe that Ron DeSantis is the guy to go after the deep state rather than Donald Trump, who has actually already been doing that and whose entire purpose in American politics is exactly that. It does not make sense. And people have realized it does not make sense, which is why they're so attracted to Vivek, because he's saying what sound like the right things. But unfortunately, they're not the right things. One of his big moments the other day was saying that the J6 insurrection was caused by censorship. No, it wasn't. He said that people went down to the Capitol and acted out the way they did because they weren't allowed to express themselves in other ways. Now, it's true that they weren't allowed to express themselves in other ways, but that's not what. January 6th was about January 6th came about because an election was stolen and none of these people are out there saying that firmly and consistently when they're asked about it. They will muddle their way through an answer. Oh, the election had some problems. And we need the states to be focused on election integrity going forward, because that's where the solutions are going to come from. It's at the state level. We're just going to change some laws once we can get the Democrats and the uniparty right Republicans to agree. I said the other day that I wish Tucker had asked all of these candidates What have you been doing for the last nearly three years in order to ensure that the 2024 election is free and fair, safe and secure, and the reported results accurately reflect the will and intent of the American voter? And how would they have answered that? Well, all of them would have failed in their response because the truth is they've all done either absolutely nothing or virtually nothing to ensure that the 2024 election is legitimate. None of them have lifted a finger. They don't talk about it. They're not trying to expose it. DeSantis set up some little lame task force and then signed a bill that actually reduced election integrity in Florida. He has presided over countless stolen elections in Florida, the most recent being the Jacksonville mayoral race. It also just so happens that their candidacy, to the extent that their candidacy is legitimate, will only serve To cement and cover up the stolen elections of the past. Donald Trump is the number one fighter for election fraud in the country. He is the one who has let everyone know, shown everyone that it's a problem. If any of these guys were to actually win, that would basically make it so that no one pursues election fraud ever again, because they'd be the beneficiaries of the rigged system. So the people who have done nothing and are actively working to ensure that elections remain rigged forever, these are the people we're going to trust to fix elections? Of course not. And Vivek Ramaswamy is no star on that issue either. But he made those comments about January 6th. That's not where he was back then. John Harold posted this last night on Twitter. Last week, Vivek Ramaswamy said censorship caused j six. But in the immediate aftermath of J6, he actually blamed Trump by condemning him and calling what he did, quote, downright abhorrent. Vivek had two tweets that John enclosed. What Trump did last week was wrong. Downright abhorrent. Plain and simple. I've said it before and did so in my piece. People like D.C. Drano began digging through Ramaswamy's old tweets as well. And he posted this one from July 9th, 2020. Wearing a mask equals personal responsibility. It's puzzling when conservatives oppose it. But before deriding them, remember this. CDC and WHO discouraged wearing masks in March, a noble lie, to save masks for healthcare workers. Institutional lying erodes public trust in science. So apparently he understood that the science was willing to lie in order to preserve protective equipment for Doctors and nurses, healthcare workers. But then at some point, the science admitted that they lied before, but for a good reason. And so now it's important that everyone wears a mask, even though the science knows these masks don't work. So Vivek has this interesting habit of always saying something that sounds like it's sort of right and maybe in opposition to the really bad people but it's never actually right. And he's always protecting the central narrative while he's saying it. the statement I just read calls out the scientific community for lying in one instance, but then says we should basically still trust them and go ahead and wear the masks while protecting the idea that the masks work. His claim that censorship caused J six Well, there's an element of relevance there. Censorship was a problem and J6 is included in that censorship problem, but that's not what caused J6. He's still protecting the ultimate narrative of J6 as a very violent insurrection and still ignoring the fact that that whole event came as a result of the usurpation of our country. We don't need to be satisfied with being thrown crumbs by someone who thinks that we will just accept. A statement that sounds like it is sort of on our side compared to the mainstream media. Is this the best we can get, the best we deserve? Oh, no, we don't expect them to be morally or factually correct. We just expect them to be better than the very worst people. Well, that's not good enough. We haven't come all this way through this terrible situation to reach that point. We don't just say, "Okay, fine, we'll compromise with this. And go back to sleep, thinking that everything will just go back to normal. Oh, you know what? We can all agree on Vivek. And as long as we do that, everything's going to be okay. And Vivek's got some unfortunate vaccine positions as well. On March 11th, 2021, he tweeted, Biden says all adults will be vaccine eligible by May 1st. That's good news. Give credit where due. And then there's this from Friday in the New York Post. Vivek Ramaswamy's pharmacy firm to sell experimental drug in $7 billion deal. A pharmaceutical company founded by Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy is reportedly in talks to sell an experimental drug in a deal that could be valued at more than $7 billion. Roivant Sciences, which Ramaswamy started in 2014, has worked to commercialize drugs held up in development by acquiring them and then creating subsidiaries to develop them, according to The Wall Street Journal. In February, the same day he publicly announced his White House bid, Ramaswamy revealed he was stepping down from Roivant's board to focus on his 2024 presidential campaign. Months before, in November, Roivant secured the rights to an in-trial medication that can treat debilitating stomach diseases like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. The article notes that Roivant acquired its stomach disease treatment from a deal with Pfizer late last year. And then this is from Just the News on Saturday. Pharmaceutical firm tied to 2024 candidate Ramaswamy tangled in lawsuits on COVID-vax technology. A pharmaceutical company tied to 2024 GOP presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy is involved in lawsuits over COVID-19 mRNA vaccine technology. Genevent Sciences, a portfolio company of Royvent Sciences, is suing Moderna and Pfizer over patented vaccine technology while also being sued by another biotech company linked with Pfizer's vaccine. Ramaswamy founded Roivant Sciences and was CEO of the biotech research company from 2014 until 2021. He continued as chairman of the board until February of this year before he stepped down. Now, it's totally possible that Vivek has always had the best of intentions, even throughout his associations with the World Economic Forum. We went through this last week when we talked about judging the character of strangers. There will definitely be more to learn about Vivek Ramaswamy, but we cannot just assume that this guy, who was clearly not MAGA, not America First before, has seen the light and become this staunch conservative that is going to be the young man to lead MAGA into the future. And he's so good, such a wonderful orator, so hopey and changey that we can just ignore Donald Trump, brush Trump aside and replace him with the newer, better model who will appeal to people who think that their college degree actually makes them very, very smart and informed. The point is that he must be vetted and the words he says on stage to impress us and connect with us are not sufficient to earn our undying trust for a man who has not been vetted. Everybody must be vetted. We talked about that in that same episode last week. All good. Vet everyone. Maybe Vivek Ramaswamy is much better than I'm giving him credit for. Maybe he has a role to play in all of this in the future. But right now, there's no reason to believe that. And I think that if people watch him, they will begin to see what I'm talking about. His answers sound okay without actually being right and without actually being America first. And here's another example. On the China-Taiwan situation, he says to burnish his image as a supporter of the Second Amendment that the solution is to give all the Taiwanese AR-15s. That's what's going to solve the China problem. As if it's somehow presidential to suggest that Taiwanese citizens take up arms against the Chinese While we have a one China policy in regard to Taiwan, that might sound tough. It might sound very Republican, very pro Second Amendment, but it's an absolutely terrible answer by any measure. So what I think we're seeing here is something I talked about a few weeks ago. I think we're going to get the spotlight shined on all sorts of different candidates throughout this process. Ron has been in the spotlight. Ron in the spotlight was a complete and total failure. Now, if that was the intent of the entire Ron thing and he took one for the team and he did his job, then he did that job spectacularly. I hope we find that out in the future for Ron's sake. And I hope Ron will be a valuable contributor to the cause. But this is all a part of the vetting. It's good that we are getting a test run with all of these different candidates. You say you don't want Trump. You say you don't think Trump is the right guy. Well, fine. Let's go on a test drive with all these other candidates and you figure out which one you think is going to turn this country around. Put everything on the right track. Take on the deep state and win. Fix our elections. Remove us from foreign wars. Restart our economy. And illegal immigration, fix our currency problems. We're going to look to one of these smaller figures that have virtually none of their own ideas that are easily destroyed by the first journalist who asks them normal questions about things Americans want to know, about things Americans prioritize. It's an absolute clown show. But it's necessary because the media created such hate for Donald Trump, it really is a hate movement. And even people who have voted for Trump before people who have been Republicans for their entire lives were subjected to that hate movement and partially convinced by it because the hate movement promises that everything is going to be easy. We just need to get rid of this one bad man and all his supporters by whatever means necessary. And after that, We can go back to normal and you guys can just argue about normal politics while we introduce all of these new agendas. Everything is going to be perfect. But we can't advance forward on any of that until you help us eliminate Donald Trump. And it turns out a lot of people signed up for that project and virtually none of them have any idea why. And as taxing as it is on one's ego to accept and admit that, and then turn in the other direction, it's still what has to happen. I've done it. Many of you have done it. We are watching people in society wrestle with doing it now because they'll get there on many things, but they don't want to give up that Trump hate. They want to tell themselves they were definitely right about Donald Trump, because if they weren't right about Donald Trump, what were they right about? And they're not okay yet with having been wrong about a whole lot of important things. Maybe people won't think they're smart anymore. Maybe they will be shunned and ignored by their family or their friends, which should tell you something about the quality of their family relationships and their friendships. If your family and friends are going to reject you at this point for defending Donald Trump, you got some awfully weird relationships that you might want to reconsider but people have been convinced they might lose their job. They might lose their standing in society. They might be embarrassed in one way or another. People might mock them. They might make fun of them. They might say mean and terrible things about them. And these people all know that that's true because all of these people participated in doing that very same thing to other Trump supporters. And I say that, by the way, as someone who participated to whatever degree In doing that same thing back in 2015 and 2016, because I thought Trump was stupid. I thought Trump was a racist and I thought his supporters must be absolutely insane not to see it. But at some point, we all just have to deal with reality if we want to move forward and we want to have nice lives and we want to consider ourselves honest people. It's amazing to me that everyone has their take on what Trump must start doing or stop doing. He needs to do this. He needs to stop saying this. He needs to do that. He needs to stop insulting people this way. Everybody has some request about what Donald Trump must do, because once Donald Trump changes, they say, then they will change. If Donald Trump just did what they want, they would then support Donald Trump full throatedly. They would support Donald Trump publicly. They would make the argument why others must support Donald Trump as well. Except they won't do any of that. All they're doing is trying to give a rationalization why remaining in the hate movement is good and true and proper for them from their perspective so that they don't have to admit they were wrong about Donald Trump and then deal with the consequences. There can always be one last thing that Donald Trump did wrong or does wrong that they can say, well, you know, I just can't support Donald Trump at any cost unless he changes his position on this one thing. And it's funny because they always revert to the same thing. Why can't Donald Trump ever admit he was wrong? Uh, hey guys, why can't you admit that you were wrong about Donald Trump? Huh? Why can't you do that? That shouldn't be all that hard, right? Donald Trump did great things as president and people at large are coming to see that. There's not even that much punishment anymore for supporting Donald Trump and defending the job he did. You're not diving into rough, shark-infested waters to save someone. You're slowly dipping yourself into a lukewarm hot tub. It's going to be just fine. But people just can't bring themselves to do it. They're worried about their reputations, I guess. Maybe they think it's rational to prioritize something more than the fact that our country was usurped in coordination with the global communist regime and our foreign adversaries. But that argument is ultimately doomed to fail. So it seems like it must be reputational. But here's the thing. Hey, everybody, we will absolutely accept your apology. Most of you who identify as Republican don't even need to apologize. You can just say, hey, guys, I got this one wrong. Don't know what I was thinking. Can we all do this? And we will be like, absolutely. Welcome aboard, friend. Welcome aboard, my fellow American. We have been waiting for you to arrive. And if it takes us auditioning every single alternate candidate that anyone can possibly come up with, well then, hey, that's just fine. We'll go through and vet all of these people. And when that's all over, We can all decide whether or not any of these candidates could possibly be taken seriously as a presidential candidate in 2024 in opposition to Donald Trump. And the truth is that there's not one with a single iota of a chance of doing that. And the whole thing about winning doesn't matter if the elections are rigged. There's certainly no one better to fight for free and fair elections out there than Donald Trump. The decision is easy. Now, before we wrap up today, I want to talk a little bit about the ongoing effort to get Trump. The walls happen to be closing in later again. And so we've got to keep updated on it. Yesterday, John Solomon from Just the News reported this. FBI tipped off Biden team and Secret Service about plan to interview Hunter. Agent tells Congress. A recently retired FBI supervisory agent told Congress behind closed doors Monday that the bureau tipped off Joe Biden's team and the Secret Service in late 2020 about a plan to interview Hunter Biden in his criminal tax probe, corroborating allegations from two IRS whistleblowers, the FBI agent who worked alongside IRS whistleblowers on the Hunter Biden case when he was assigned to the Wilmington field office gave his account in a transcribed interview before the House Oversight and Accountability Committee, providing fresh evidence of alleged political interference in the treatment of Joe Biden's son. And he could have said in the lead up to the 2020 election, he corroborated several aspects of the account. IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley and a second agent gave Congress last month including that law enforcement's plan to conduct a surprise interview in early December 2020 with Hunter Biden about alleged tax crimes was foiled by the tip off. The agent, whose name wasn't immediately made public, said the bureau told both Joe Biden's transition office and the Secret Service, creating a tip off that thwarted the planned interview. So once again, another blatant example of the two-tiered system of justice. They will do anything and everything to pursue Trump, to get Trump. They need that silver bullet. The walls are always closing in later again. And the Bidens get the most preferential possible treatment from all sides. Even though Joe Biden is a demented old pervert who has spent 50 years being paid by taxpayers to be the most corrupt man in American political history by a long shot to sell out the interests of his constituents to big business and foreign adversaries, and then to have his crackhead whoremonger of a son travel around the world, closing these deals on his behalf. John Solomon added this report today in just the news. Forbidden questions, denied warrants, witness tip offs, agents detail interference in Biden probe, adding on to the earlier report about what this witness testified to in these closed door hearings on Monday. Solomon writes in the interview with Congress on Monday, aides said the retired FBI agent said, and he includes a bulleted list here, one. Multiple witness interviews were planned in the Biden family probe for December 8, 2020, with he and Shapley assigned to interview Hunter Biden. 2. Late on December 7, 2020, Shapley and the FBI agent learned that FBI headquarters had notified Secret Service headquarters about the Hunter Biden interview and that the Biden transition team was also notified, contrary to the original investigative plan. 3. The next day, the FBI agent and Shapley were instructed not to approach Hunter Biden's house and instead would have to wait until Hunter Biden contacted them, an instruction the FBI agent said he had never gotten before. And four, Hunter Biden never approached them, and the interview never happened. Solomon goes on. In just a few short months, three GOP-led House committees, Oversight, Judiciary, and Ways and Means have uncovered more than a dozen alleged instances of interference and abnormal meddling in the Hunter Biden and Joe Biden probes. Here are some of the biggest revelations. Number one, FBI and IRS agents were told they could not ask questions about Joe Biden in connection with the probe into his son's foreign business dealings. We weren't allowed to ask questions about dad. We weren't allowed to ask about the big guy. We weren't allowed to include certain names and document requests and search warrants. So we were precluded from following that line of questioning, Shapley said during a recent interview. Two agents were denied search warrants for both the guest cottage on Joe Biden's property where Hunter Biden lived and a storage locker where the first son stored some of his business records that law enforcement sought as evidence. The agents said they had met the standard of probable cause required for such warrants. So there are a few different ways to parse that. But the important point is that the higher ups did not allow the agents to seek the warrants to get that information, that particular information. Three, in addition to the tip off about the planned Hunter Biden interview, agents have testified that Hunter Biden's legal team was alerted by federal prosecutor Leslie Wolf to plan to search the storage locker. No sooner had we gotten off the call than we heard a USA wolf had simply reached out to Hunter Biden's defense counsel and told him about the storage unit. Once again, ruining our chance to get to evidence before being destroyed, manipulated or concealed. And that sounds like rather extraordinary corruption and maybe even obstruction. How about that? Four. The IRS and FBI had gathered evidence that Hunter Biden had not paid taxes on at least $400,000 from the Ukrainian energy firm Burisma Holdings dating to 2014, but prosecutors did not charge that crime and allowed the statute of limitations to expire. Five, the FBI had corroborated Hunter Biden's laptop as far back as November 2019 and knew the device was not part of a foreign disinformation campaign. An entire year before intelligence community experts and surrogates of Joe Biden's campaign made the false allegation. And again, not only is that astounding on its own, but that laptop contained exculpatory evidence for Donald Trump's Ukraine impeachment hoax. But that coup attempt against the American presidency doesn't matter because it was Donald Trump. And everybody knows that Donald Trump is bad, so it doesn't matter what you accuse him of. He's probably guilty of it. And no, this is not an act of scapegoating as part of a hate movement. Number six, FBI counterintelligence agents who probe foreign espionage operations were interested in the Biden's dealings with a Chinese energy company that was tied to the communist country's military. The FBI is considering a lot of national security type issues here, Shapley said when asked about CEFC China Energy. Number seven, prosecutors were pressured by the Biden team. Shapley alleged that Hunter Biden attorney Chris Clark threatened prosecutors that if they charged his client, they would be committing career suicide. That's a quote. Eight. Agents had evidence that Joe Biden may have been involved in his son's dealings with the Chinese energy firm, including testimony from a family friend who said he saw the future president meet the Chinese executives in 2017 and a text message in which Hunter Biden pressures the same executives for money by claiming his father was with him at the time. And just an aside on that story, Donald Trump in his interview with Lou Dobbs on yesterday's episode of Lou Dobbs. Great America show, Trump actually supplied some doubt about whether Joe actually was sitting next to Hunter when that text message was sent. So that is interesting. Make of that what you will. If you want to hear it for yourself, go listen to Donald Trump on Lou Dobbs Great America show, which is, by the way, a really good podcast. And number nine, prosecutors failed to share with the IRS agents and FBI informants evidence that a Ukrainian businessman may have engaged in a scheme to bribe Joe and Hunter Biden with $10 million. So that's a whole lot of covering up for Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and the entire corrupt political criminal enterprise. Now, Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy had a video cut together that he played for members of his caucus as they prepare for upcoming hearings about Biden corruption. Marjorie Taylor Greene put out, That video today, she wrote, this is why Jack Smith is abusing his power to arrest President Trump. The communist Democrats are trying to win the 24 presidential election by arresting the people's president, President Trump, in order to cover up Joe Biden's real crimes. Here is the video.
1: Vice President Biden, there have been questions about the work your son has done in China and for a Ukrainian energy company when you were vice president. In retrospect, was anything about those relationships inappropriate or unethical?
2: Nothing was unethical. President Biden's brother and son are both under investigation. Officials are looking into their business dealings overseas.
0: My son business associate 10 over a million dollars to three of their family members. Any reaction to
2: that was not true. My son has not made money in terms of this thing about. Uh, What are you talking about? China.
0: CBS News has learned that more than 150 transactions involving either Hunter or James Biden's global business affairs were flagged as concerning by U.S. banks for further review. Some of those concerns included large wire transfers. The most comprehensive statement we have is from the White House chief of staff, and that was earlier this week. And he said that the president is confident his family did the right thing, adding these actions by Hunter and James are private
2: matters and don't involve the president. Gary Shapley has been at the IRS for 14 years and told us that the way the Hunter Biden investigation was conducted was, in his words, quote, outside the norm. I, I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. President Biden, how involved were you in your Chinese shakedown text message? Were you sitting there? It's were you, about about you involved? Yeah, no, I wasn't. Were you, you? No. Shapley, who is still working for the IRS, told us that even before President Biden took office, he was directed to avoid leads involving Hunter's father. I'm honest. There were certain investigative steps that we weren't allowed to take that could have led us to President Biden. And you wanted to take. them? We needed to take them. And you weren't allowed to take.
0: That's correct. So that basically seems like a movie trailer for the Biden related hearings. And at the same time, they are going after Donald Trump as hard as can be. And CNN is putting the rest of their remaining credibility online to support Jack Smith. Jack Smith is now their hero for going to Subway. Here's John King explaining one last point. Jack Smith, remember when the classified documents target letter,
2: when Trump announced that, there was a lot of commentary. It was Jack Smith making a mistake here. Is he leaving this all to Donald Trump? And then they released the indictment, and we all said, wow. Wow. We read it. We saw the documentation. We saw the level of detail. Jack Smith going to Subway today is a message to Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump tries to intimidate people. He tries to bully people. He tries to scare you away. That was Jack Smith with no words and a simple $5 sub in his hand saying, I'm here I'm not going to. yeah the imagery was uh, uh, was intentional yeah. and spoke volumes it really is um and
0: now that has to be the strangest five dollar foot long commercial anyone has ever seen now we have mentioned many times and Kyle just human has done extensive work on all of this last year proposing his theory about templates in the wake of the August 8th, 2022 raid on Mar-a-Lago. Donald Trump announced that raid. Donald Trump has consistently announced his indictments before they happen. And Donald Trump is breaking news again with a truth social post and a presidential statement. He wrote, wow, on Sunday night, while I was with my family, having just arrived from the turning point event in Florida, where I won the straw poll against all other Republican candidates with 85.7 percent. With all polls showing me leading in the Republican primary by very substantial numbers, almost everyone predicting that I will be the Republican nominee for president. And as I am leading Democrat Joe Biden in the polls by a lot, horrifying news for our country was given to me by my attorneys. Deranged Jack Smith, the prosecutor with Joe Biden's DOJ, sent a letter. Again, it was Sunday night stating that I am a target of the January 6th grand jury investigation and giving me a very short four days to report to the grand jury, which almost always means an arrest and indictment. So now Joe Biden's attorney general Merrick Garland, who I turned down for the United States Supreme court in retrospect, based on his corrupt and unethical actions, a very wise decision, together with Joe Biden's department of injustice have effectively issued a third indictment and arrest of Joe Biden's number one political opponent who is largely dominating him in the race for the presidency. Nothing like this has ever happened in our country before or even close. They illegally spied on my campaign, attacked me with a totally fake dossier that was funded by Hillary Clinton's campaign and the DNC impeached me twice. I won They failed on the Mueller witch hunt. No collusion. They failed on the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, the 51 intelligence agents fraud, the FBI and Twitter files, the DOJ Facebook censorship and every other scam imaginable. But on top of all that, they have now effectively indicted me three times. The DOJ has staffed and runs the DA's office in Manhattan with a probable fourth coming from Atlanta where the DOJ are in strict and possibly illegal coordination with the district attorney whose record on murder and other violent crime is abysmal. This witch hunt is all about election interference and a complete and total political weaponization of law enforcement. It is a very sad and dark period for our nation. Now, Donald Trump, of course, is right on all of that. It's not like these new charges, these new issues, are going to result in some different outcome. We have seen these attempts at Donald Trump over and over and over for eight years, and none of them have worked. Not once, not a little bit. All of them have been completely and totally refuted to the point where virtually everyone understands that. And it's not because Donald Trump is crafty in getting out of these situations. It's because all of them are completely and totally fake from the start. And there are enough people who realize that immediately that we don't actually need to wait for years and years for the rest of the public to determine the same thing. Trump is not in danger. He is putting these statements out so that people understand what the regime is trying to do. Donald Trump. Confidently and humorously goes to each and every one of these events and talks about exactly what the enemies of this nation are doing. And people are finally beginning to listen and to hear him and to understand the point of all this. There is only one choice here. You either want these problems to be fixed and for America to work as we were promised it would work, which requires all of our involvement. And our support in fixing this, which does require supporting Donald Trump. Or at some point, it's clear that your priority is to remove Donald Trump from the conversation. Because if Donald Trump is removed from the conversation, then the regime wins. And if the regime wins, then all of the people who supported the regime throughout this time win as well. Or at least they think they're going to win. Because they're acting in all the ways that the regime usually incentivizes. But the thing is, they're not in the club and they're never going to be in the club. And if the regime wins and we get to 2030, those people are all going to own nothing and be happy, just like all the Trump supporters. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at i'myourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month, comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm Your Moderator. And I'll see you soon. Out on the range.